Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, anyway, we'll move on from that. As you know, COP27, or the United uh, National Climate Change, United Nations Climate Change Conference, is underway in Egypt. So to give us some insight into what actually happens there, we're joined by someone who was at the very first COP, and most of them since then, the former environmental correspondent of the Irish Times, Frank MacDonald. Afternoon, Frank. Good afternoon, Sean. Where was the first one? The first one was held in Berlin, uh, in the city's big international conference center. Uh, and it was, it was um, you know, uh, bewildering, I suppose, in a way. I mean, I had been in, uh, at the Earth Summit in Rio uh, three years earlier in 1992. And that was, you know, had loads of razzmatazz and all the rest of it. And it was pretty bewildering as well, but we got used to it and enjoyed it, in fact. But, you know, but the Berlin conference had none of that kind of razzmatazz. And, um, and interest, media interest was lukewarm. Um, reflecting the fact that most governments were, weren't really taking climate change seriously at the time. Um, and, and the International Herald Tribune, it's hard to believe now, uh, devoted just two paragraphs to it. That's extraordinary. Um, at the conference itself, there were lobbyists all over the place. I mean, uh, Jeremy Leggett, uh, who uh, was representing Greenpeace and would normally be going around in, in jeans and a lumberjack shirt, I mean, he uh, actually dressed in a a business suit with a, t- a shirt and tie and all. And more shadowy figures like Don Perlman, uh, who was a Washington, D.C. lawyer, and he was working closely with the oil companies and the and, uh, oil-producing countries like Saudi Arabia and was dubbed by Der Spiegel, the German newspaper, as the high priest of the Carbon Club. And, you know, there were all sorts of new things happening at the time. I mean, German industry was, was putting its green face forward and, and, and Daimler-Benz was demonstrating new electric cars, which were very much a newfangled thing, thing back in 1995. And Siemens was plugging wind turbines and, and another company, OWE, uh, was showing a, a model of the first solar power plant uh, hmm. in Spain. You know, so there were, there were things happening uh, at the time. And, you know, young activists from all over the world, you know, they brought a steamroller to the, the Congress Centre to, to symbolise how the the climate was being crushed, as they as they said, by by car car based transport policies, and we all know where that led us. Uh, and presiding over it all in in Berlin was uh, Germany's new environment minister, the then very little known Angela Merkel. I mean, we had to uh, learn to pronounce her name as Angela rather than Angela, mm-hmm. which would be the natural thing to do in English. Um, and she had been appointed as as, as um, environment minister of of Germany by by Chancellor Helmut Kohl just six months uh, previously. And, you know, uh, the interesting thing about her, of course, was that she had trained as a physicist and she'd grown up in East Germany, but she had a clear understanding of the science that was being laid out by the by the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and their rather startling reports that became even more startling over the years uh, as the world came to, came to realise that, that we were gripped by I think everyone recognises now is a climate emergency, mm. and you know the, the main the main function of of the of COP one in Berlin really was to give flesh to the the UN framework convention on climate change that had been adopted by acclamation uh, in Rio de Janeiro uh, three years earlier, and to kind of give a mandate for negotiations to go on to try and deal with um, the multifarious aspects of the whole climate. 
issue uh, in in all of its manifestations. Yeah. And you know, uh, but the the thing about the the whole process of UN COPs is that everything has to be adopted unanimously. So if anybody you know put put their oar in and and uh, or uh, uh, or put a spanner in the works more, more precisely. Um, you know, it, it would have been scuppered. And just as Merkel was putting the final resolution to the floor um, to set up what became known as the Berlin Mandate, the Saudi delegate rose to his feet to raise an objection. But in looking out over the period hall, and I remember this so well, she just deigned not to see him. Pretended <laughs> to and, and she said, she just said, I think that's all agreed, and, and brought down the gavel. And the official record then shows that the outcome was adopted by acclamation. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I, so, as the years went past, um, Frank, did, did, was there a sort of an increase in the sense of urgency about all this? Because oftentimes one gets the impression that people go, you know, and they're very jizzed up in advance of it, and then they come back and they're constantly disappointed. Well, I mean, international haggling is... is, um, is, is 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 a wonder to behold, really. I mean, mm. some, sometimes it's like watching paint dry, to be honest. Um, and you know, steps are are, are made very, very slowly uh, towards um, a goal. And there isn't always um, uh, agreement uh, reached at, at these events. And you know, in a way, you know, I know it's shocking to admit this, but it it kind of became the whole process became because they ha- they were having one of these cops every year, um, and it's literally the conference of the parties, COP. Uh, to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. And um, there's now 195, I think, 196 countries involved. So, you know, some of them are very, very rich, um, developed countries. Some of them are very, very poor. And, you know, trying to reach agreement among such a diverse lot, you know, would it was it has been really, really difficult. And, you know, the cops followed in places. I mean, it did really become a ticket to see the world uh, because it, they it were happening in places as diverse as Bonn and Montreal, uh, Milan, uh, Nairobi, Bali, Bali. Everyone was jealous of us for going to Bali, but nobody was much jealous for going to Poznan, for example. Um, and then there was the famous climate summit in Copenhagen um, in 2009, where everything was supposed to be agreed. And then there was a scandal in advance of that that was manufactured by the fossil fuel lobby, really, that compromising emails had been found at the University of East Anglia's uh, Climate Research Unit, which is one of the most respected in the world. And that fell apart despite the efforts of the likes of um, uh, Barack Obama, who had, uh, you know, been president of the United States uh, since earlier on the same year. And, you know, he, I remember very well watching Danish TV that morning and and they had uh, a camera trained on Air Force One uh, way up in the sky and they followed it right down to uh, when it landed, uh, as if, you know, this guy was going to fly in and sort everything out. But in fact, he didn't, and the thing fell apart. And then it had to be rescued uh, the following year in Cancun, uh, the um, the Mexican resort on the on the Caribbean. And then that was, that, and that actually, that did rescue it. And then there was further summits in Durban, uh, in South Africa, in Doha and Qatar, uh, Warsaw, Lima and and then in Paris, where there was a, a general agreement and a very serious uh, and a very strong agreement reached uh, among all of the countries that um, the targets uh, were were actually set um, in Paris, and the Paris Agreement is constantly cited now um, as as the benchmark uh, against which progress can be measured. 
And, you know, like um, it was followed then by, by Glasgow, um, which which was designed to put flesh on the on 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 further flesh on the thing, and then uh, and here we are uh, now uh, uh, with the latest one in Sharm el Sheikh. Uh, yeah, would uh, you be optimistic about Sharm el Sheikh? Well, I I I I'm not sure that I would be really because you know the world has been kind of like uh, you know thrown askew a bit by, by not just a bit but quite a lot by the COVID pandemic and mm. also of course by the unexpected eruption of war in Europe uh, with the Russian invasion of, of, of Ukraine and and the soaring um, oil prices and um, energy prices generally that have followed that and the inflation that's coming in. So that you find a lot of politicians in a lot of countries are, are saying, well, can we park the climate? I just don't think we can park the climate. We can't afford to do that because if we don't tackle it now, um, it's just going to get worse and worse. And we've seen the evidence before our eyes. I mean, you know, back in, in 1995 in Berlin, you know, it was it was all sort of like seen as a distant thing. Something was happening mm-hmm. in the lifetime of our children and grandchildren. But it's actually happening now. And I mean, I never really expected to see all of the things, the dire warnings that scientists have been giving given since the late 1980s actually coming into into reality. I mean, we're living with it almost week by week. Yeah, Frank, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today. That was Frank MacDonald there, uh, former Environment Editor uh, of the Irish Times. And Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.